0: welcome to the texas home improvement super podcast with jim dutton all the best calls this week throughout the state of
1: texas brought to you by more plumbing supplies bath and kitchen show charlie this is jim how can i help you hey
0: jim i've got a electrical question regarding a house that's got aluminum wiring and we've remodeled and put some Uh, copper switches in, um, what can we do to alleviate that potential safety problem?
1: Well, first of all, you got to make sure you got the right type of switch. There is a difference between the switches that you use on copper wires versus aluminum. So make sure you get the right switches for aluminum wiring. Second, they make a grease that you put on the fittings, and what that does is it helps to keep things from oxidizing and and holds things together so with those two items aluminum wiring is totally fine to use i've got it in my own house in fact uh, and quite frankly aluminum does a better job of conducting the electricity than the copper does on all the high power lines and stuff it's most of that is all still aluminum
0: well is there any kind of specific switch we need to
1: keep an eye out for uh when we yeah. match that up yes yeah when you go to when you go to the store Uh, they have, if you look at the different labels, they have them labeled for aluminum wiring and, and that's what you have to use. Got it. Okay. Can I ask you one more question since you're in the
0: the foundation business, I believe? Yes, sir. Um, Houses in Carrollton, we've had, uh, 30 to 40 piers put around uh, the house in the last 18 months and we're still getting little cracks in the wall. Um. I'm not sure what we need to do, get somebody else out there like yourself to look at it or, or what. But, I mean, it's nothing major that's uh, cracking, but, you know, we're still getting some movement.
1: Well, I mean, we'd be more than happy to look at it, but let's. I'm assuming since the number you gave, that's probably all perimeter piers, correct? It is, yes. Yeah, and what can happen is, uh, you know, towns like Carrollton, there's a lot of trees in there and the tree roots get up in the middle of the house, and that can be what caused the original foundation problem to begin with. And it very well could be that you're getting a little bit of movement on the middle of the house. Because right now, we've been so far behind on moisture that the trees are searching for moisture, and they're probably getting it from under the foundation. A simple root barrier could probably help stabilize it, and I'm making the assumption that the piers you have are put in right. Uh, and and I, I hate to say this, but a lot of times they're not. But we're, we're going to go with the assumption that they were. And if the middle isn't peered, which is normal, uh, you know, a lot of jobs are strictly perimeter, but if you didn't address the root cause of the problem, in in Carrollton a lot of times it is tree roots, uh, you're destined to have additional movement. So... Yeah, we'd be happy to take a look at it, and if that's all it is, that's relatively inexpensive to get taken care of, and that will stabilize it then. When
0: you do that middle middle slab pier or middle-of-the-house do you you have to get in there and drill down underneath it, don't you?
1: Well, you got two ways of doing it. One is to come inside and jackhammer holes. The other is to tunnel from outside. I prefer to tunnel, and the main reason I do... You've got a foundation that's got a problem, and now we're going to fix it by turning it into Swiss cheese, knocking a bunch of holes in it yeah. to install piers. And every time you level one of those, you can see where the where the holes are knocked. It's got just a little bit of a dip. Now, and I'll I'll be up front. You as a homeowner will never feel it. Me walking through that slab, I can feel it every time because it's like a for me it's like a little wave going across the house every yeah. every time I walk on one of those dips big problem when you're doing interior piers, a lot of time there's plumbing that's related to the problem. Yep. Yep. And so you end up knocking holes, you fix the foundation only to find out you got to do a bunch of tunneling for the plumbing anyways. Yep. And you're typically cheaper to go ahead and address it all at once with tunnel. Jim, thank you very much. Appreciate the education on this. You bet. Have a great afternoon. Jeff, how can I help you today? We're experiencing
0: a of lights flickering in the house periodically, uh, seeing it in several different rooms of the house, and wondering if that's indicative of an electrical problem with the house or if it's you know really just something common in the supply in our area.
1: Oh, neither one. It's, it's an indication you voted wrong in the election and, and they're monitoring you now. And notice I didn't say which way you voted. I'm going to leave that one alone. But, no, it it actually could be either one of those. Okay. Uh, If the entire house is doing it, it can be a loose leg coming into the house. Okay. Or, which is part of the supply coming to the house, but it can also be something to do with something further down the line. So the thing to check is with any neighbors to see if they're having the same issue. If they okay. are, it's an indication it's the power supply coming to the neighborhood. Okay. If they're not, then it's something to do with your system. And from what you described, it sounds like it is happening over the entire house.
0: And we think so. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. So that's a lot. It very well could be nothing more than the legs coming in the house. Uh, where they tie in to the meter, there. If those nuts start getting loose, it can it can st- cause those type of issues. Uh, it can do it on the breaker box as well, but typically only half the house will flash that way if it's in the breaker box, because normally the breaker box is divided into two sides.
0: Okay. Okay. So if it's happening everywhere, that would be an indication that it's that it's before the breaker box. And is the breaker box the demarc of where our responsibility is versus the electric company?
1: Pretty much. Now, Pretty much. In, in the 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 way it works in most places, I'm assuming your power comes in underground, or is it overhead?
0: It's underground.
1: Yeah. See, if it's underground you're actually responsible for the underground wire. Uh, and typically, if it's overhead, the power company will bring it to the power head, you know, that where it sticks up, and yeah. tie into that. But when it goes underground, for some reason, most places, the underground part is your responsibility.
0: So the last leg you're talking about is really something that's my responsibility.
1: Yep. But okay. where where it ties into the meter and all that, they normally service all that. Uh, they'll just tell bit. you if that line goes bad, they'll just tell you, hey, it's you, you're going to have to replace this line. Uh, personally, what I would do is call the power company, have them come out and check the legs, make sure all the nuts and everything are tight. And if, it's, and if they don't find any problems, they can actually put a meter on there, uh, a, a monitoring device, to monitor the power for 30 days coming to the home to see if there's any spikes and stuff. Okay. And that will help narrow it down.
0: Okay. Okay, cool. So have the power company come out, check the connections, put a monitoring device on there for 30 days, see if there are spikes, talk to the neighbors, see if they're experiencing the same thing. If none of that resolves it, call out electrician. Yep. Okay, great. Kevin.
1: Welcome to Texas Home Improvement.
2: Hi, Jim. I got a uh, an interesting problem with my roof. The roof's only about ten years old, and the uh, spot in the roof where the uh, uh, the exhaust from the natural gas furnace comes through um, leaks, uh, but only when it rains really hard. And last spring, you remember, we had several really hard rains, and yeah. every time I would climb up in the attic, and sure enough, it seems like it's Coming from around that. And so I called the roofing company that installed it for me. They came out and had a look, gave me an estimate, said it was an easy fix. But the problem is it's a little too easy fix and they just never quite have time to get around to it. It's just not worth their trouble. And so I'm thinking if I knew what kind of stuff to put in my caulking gun, I could probably climb up there and lift a few shingles and spread a bead around. uh, Or am I oversimplifying it?
1: Uh, you may be oversimplifying it. It'll. It really depends on where the leak is on it. The there's really only a couple places that it can leak. Because if the if the the boot and everything is put together properly, it can leak right around the 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 pipe where the pipe comes down through the roof jack. Or there's a hole, you know, like where they attach the flange on top. and a shingle didn't get down on top of a nail hole or something like that. That's really typically the only places where those things will leak.
2: Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, the times when it leaks, if we just have a normal little shower like we've had recently, it doesn't seem to leak at all. But when we have some of those uh, you know, frog strangers we had earlier this spring, uh, especially coming in at an angle, that's when I, I can hear the dripping. And so I go up in the attic and sure enough there it's, dripping down to the nearest place and then
1: and when and, and when, you, when you're up underneath looking where where is it dripping out where is it coming in is well, it up on dripping. the roof decking or
2: yeah well what it's what it's doing is um it takes a while and and it has to be a hard rain but it doesn't drip right where the uh you know where where the hole is where the, uh-huh. the housing and everything is uh, but i can see that it's it's seeping down uh, on top of the decking, and then when it comes to a joint between the two pieces of plywood, maybe two feet yep. below it, that's where it escapes, and then that's where it drips down and hits the okay. ceiling of the attic.
1: That that answers the question, then. It's going to be in the flange. Something, something where they attached it down didn't get plugged up. So there there is some type of hole, uh, like where the nails went through or something, that's leaking.
2: So if I were to gently lift up the shingles that are on top of that flange and and uh, spread some whatever the appropriate compound is is that the
1: fix? You you might get it. You got to be real careful with those shingles because if you lift too hard and you crack it, it you know, you can tear the shingles up, but yeah. um yeah, you you could definitely try that and if you'll stop by one of the uh, roofing supplies uh, even Ace Hardware will have the material that you need for doing that. What what part of town are you in? West Chase.
2: I'm not far okay. from an Ace Hardware. What should
1: I ask them for? Uh, just tell them you need some uh, roof uh, caulking, and they'll they'll have it for you.
2: Okay. Appreciate your advice.
1: All righty. Hey, good luck with that, Kevin. <laughs> okay, thank hey, you. Now, one thing, one thing yeah. on it. Okay. One of the biggest mistakes people make when they start trying to do this is they put too much junk on it. Hmm. Uh, there, there is a thing as there is such a thing as going overboard on what yeah. you try to put on there. So, so, so not uh, too much of a good thing, huh? Exactly. So, like a it's kind of like sugar. Too much of a good bead, thing will maybe? do you wrong. <laughs> yeah. So
2: a, a normal caulking bead, like a quarter-inch diameter.
1: That uh, that's all you need. Yes, sir. Okay.
2: Okay. That's uh sounds good. Uh, thanks again for your advice.
1: You bet. Take care, Bobby. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you for taking my call.
2: We're building a balcony uh, in our house, and we wanted to put in like a wood decorative ceiling both on the porch and upstairs, and so it's going to be outdoors. Is there a kind of wood you would recommend putting in?
1: Okay, you're going to put it on the the balcony, and you're going to use it as the ceiling as well?
2: Correct. Correct. So up underneath the balcony, so where the porch is, and then we're going to put the same thing upstairs on the actual balcony and the ceiling. So they're they're both outdoors. The,
1: The wood that comes to my mind, because of the looks and the durability of it outside and everything, is cedar.
3: Okay.
2: And something that can be... Stained any color, and it could be sealed, and won't rot after three years.
1: Cedar won't, will not rot. It can be stained. it It actually looks best if you use kind of a clear stain on it and just a sealer. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, redwood, redwood is another one that c- would uh, could be used that would look very good.
2: One of the recommendations given to us was pine, and I was a little bit hesitant pine There's will rot. Pine outdoors.
1: Yeah, then unless the pine is treated, uh, it's going to rot. It's not it's not going to hold up. Okay. So cedar's the way to go. Yep. Good deal. Thank
0: Red, you very Red much.
2: Wood,
1: Redwood and cedar, those are those are the two that they're just durable outside.
2: Yeah. Thank you very much okay. for the information. Appreciate you it. You
1: bet. Leslie, welcome to KTRH. Thank you. How can I help you?
4: Um, I have a uh, couple of questions. Um, We built a house about three years ago, and my husband accidentally shot a gun off on our tile floor. Now I have a big hole. Need to fix it. So I don't know how to get the piece of, you know, the square piece of tile out that didn't get cracked, Uh and put a new piece of tile in there. So what's the best tool to get to get the old tile out? Do I just get a hammer and be really careful and hammer it out, or
1: well, the the first thing you'll want to do is take the grout out around the tile, and uh, they actually make little tools for grinding the grout out. Uh, stop by a floor and decor store, and uh, they'll make they make a little hand tool, or you can use a Dremel with a little grinder tool on it to take that okay. grout out first. Okay. Then, I mean, the the tile already has a bullet hole in it, so it's already I'm sure cracked and stuff. Oh yeah. So. There's a big hole, you, you, yeah. Yeah, just at that point, you can just take a hammer to that piece of tile and a chisel and scrape it on up. And I'm assuming you have another piece of tile you can put in? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. It's just a matter it, when you are at and decor, get you some mastic that's already mixed up in a tub that you can put on the back of that piece of tile, pop it into place. And the hardest part of this whole thing is going to be getting any grout that matches the the, the, the original grout.
4: Okay. Well, luckily it's like in a corner in the master bathroom, so it's not like somebody can see it a lot. It's, it's dark yeah. grout, so it should be okay.
1: Well, okay. I'll tell you, floor and decor, they got this very cool tool that if you'll take some of the, they can put tile in it and, and it, it shows, you know, what color grouts match that tile best. But if you'll take a piece of that gr- tile, uh, I'm sorry, a piece of that grout with you that you, you know, chip out from around it, uh-huh. Uh huh. They'll be able to match what that grout is. The only color difference that you'll probably have is going to be just the wear that's been on the grout since it was installed. Okay.
4: All right, that's good. And then my, my other question was, um, in my it's a fairly new house, but probably about I'd say six or eight of the light switches. When you flip them on, they make like a popping sound. Is that normal for that to do that in a house?
1: No. What
4: would be causing that?
1: Uh, There's a couple things that can cause it. One is if there's too much voltage going to the switch, but the other is just the switch itself going bad. And Hmm. if you've got multiple ones doing it, I almost lean towards you getting too much voltage going.
4: And what causes that, too much voltage?
1: That's that's coming in from the power company. And so what I would do is, is have... Uh, the power checked to make sure that you're getting the right amount of juice coming in. What kind of person checks that out? The, the, the power company. Okay. No, they can come out with meters and check it. Uh, okay. And because where it can, where the problem can be is actually in their uh, transformer. Okay. And so it'd be something that they would take care of.
4: Alrighty. Thank you so much. Okay.
1: Now Leslie, tell your husband where the safety is on that gun so he don't do that again.
4: <laughs> I will. Thank you so much. Okay.
1: Bye bye. Bye bye. Clint, this is Jim. How can I help you?
4: Good afternoon, Jim. Uh Good
5: afternoon. remodeling remodeling our bathroom and trying to pick out a tub, you know, whether to go with cast iron, porcelain, steel, porcelain, acrylic, uh, for longevity of the finish, just overall, what do you recommend?
1: Overall, for the longest wear, you're going to go with one of the metal, whether it's cast iron or the steel that has the porcelain finish. You'll find that the cast iron is heavier and also has a heavier finish on it. And to, in In my opinion, it typically outlasts even the steel tubs. The steel tubs have a little bit of flexibility to them, uh, especially if it's something you use a lot. And what I have seen is they will tend, and it's nothing that happens quickly, but over years they'll tend to get some uh, fracture cracks in the porcelain. Right. and, And they don't peel or anything, but it starts to show. And I just find that the cast iron lasts longer than you want the tub. I'll put it that way.
5: Right. Now I understand. Uh, I've heard of the steel, the porcelain on steel, are more susceptible to chipping. Is that yes true or yes? It is. Okay. So and the acrylic, uh, would you recommend that at all or just uh, that... oh, well It's not
1: that I don't recommend it, but you asked for longevity, uh, right. and for longevity, I, I that's. You don't want the acrylic for longevity. Um, you're looking at on a an acrylic tub, typically a 15 year tub. Right. On a cast iron with porcelain, that's a lifetime tub.
5: Yeah, uh, yeah. The one we just took out was, you know, put in in the late 50s. So.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um,
5: and as far as the depth, like kind of the soak depth. I'm having a little trouble finding a reasonably priced cast iron that's deeper. Um, Could you recommend a manufacturer that makes a deeper cast?
1: Truthfully, I would tell you to get with more plumbing supply. Okay. uh, uh, And talk with them. I know Kohler has one. Uh, or I believe Kohler has one, but I'm not 100% sure on that. The the two tubs I'm thinking of would be either Kohler or American Standard.
5: Right. Okay.
1: But more plumbing supply would definitely be able to answer that question better than I could.
5: All right. I'll get a hold of them on Monday.
1: All righty. All right. Thank you, Jim. You bet. Have a great weekend. You too. Kathy, how are you today, Kathy?
3: Hi, Jim. I had a couple of questions about hardy siding.
1: Okay. Um,
3: We're having the overlapping kind put in, and I'm wondering, uh, should there be any uh, any airflow between those um, siding pieces underneath where they overlap, or should it be nice and flat?
1: No, it should lay down one on top of the other.
3: And should not be any airspace between there? And when the two you have two ends that butt up against each other,
6: uh-huh.
1: do you
3: caulk? Should there be caulking there or extra nailing?
1: Normally, there is caulking there because uh, the siding is a concrete-based material, so it does expand and contract with the uh, temperature changes. So uh-huh. yes, you do caulk that, and and but Hardy no, has a caulking for that.
3: But you don't need to nail down the little corners. No, ma'am. Okay, and also I've been told that putting window trim on top of the siding Hardy does not allow any caulking to take place along the window trim. Is that true?
1: No, you can caulk here, yes, ma'am. Uh, you got two ways of putting the trim around the windows one is to put the window. Trim in first and then butt the siding up to it, in which case you would caulk that line. The other is to run the siding and then put the trim over the siding, and you'll have that little basically like a triangle wedge type shape there. It can be caulked, but it's not typically necessary to caulk it.
3: I see, so I'm not, I'm just worried about water running behind there or wind blowing water into
1: that. Well, the, all the sealing is done actually around the window. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, the way right. uh, the Hardy product goes on, you, you seal everything around the windows first. You've got your uh, either Hardy wrap or Tyvek that goes on, and then that's sealed all up. Then the siding goes over that, and if, if say, you run the siding first, and then the, the uh, trim... Yes. Where the siding comes up to the window, if there's a space there to do it, you can't. They they'll typically caulk and seal it there. Then the trim goes over, and that's the reason it's usually not necessary to to do any further caulking on the trim itself on top of the siding, other than right around the window side.
3: Okay, that makes good sense to me. Thank you, Jim.
1: You're welcome, Kathy. You have a great weekend.
3: Thank you. Bye.
1: The other thing on the siding, it, when you put the trim over the top, the water comes down the wall. It would have to blow into the side four inches to get to where there's a gap. And typically it's just not going to be capable of doing that. And even if it gets there, that's where all the water seal protection is. Uh, I had somebody send in an email question. I live in a pier and beam home with a documented subfloor high moisture content. Do you think a heavy plastic sheeting stapled under the house, flooring, would help with this problem? No. Actually, it would make that problem substantially worse. Never staple plastic on the, on the bottom side of your floor joists and stuff in a pier and beam home. The high moisture content is typically coming from the soil under the foundation. So, what you would do is lay the heavy plastic on top of the soil, but you keep the crawl space open so it gets it with good ventilation to keep the humidity levels low. And if need be, they make fans that can go into those uh, air vent spaces that are on pier and beam homes, and that's to move air to keep the humidity levels low. What happens when you put anything? on those floor joists, whether it's a pier and beam, block and base home. Sometimes people will try to put insulation there, plastic, different things to try to make their floors warmer. Well, first of all, it really doesn't help a whole lot. But second of all, the humidity gets into the insulation. The plastic down there starts acting as a terrarium. And the next thing you know, all the floor joists, subfloors, everything is rotting. And you're into serious money to replace it. The best thing you can do: cover the ground completely with plastic, or deal with where that moisture is coming from. Uh, you know, if it's if it's ground moisture getting underneath there, capture it with the uh, with uh, French drains, surface drains, whatever you have to, in order to stop that water from migrating under the home. But that's the key to to curing the moisture issue, not just trying to put plastic on the bottom and rotting the house out. And let me tell you, you can rot that subfloor in a matter of just a few years if you're not careful. So, anyways, 214-787-1080. That's 214-787-1080. Any home improvement question, pick up the phone, give me a call, and, hey, I'll see what I can do to help you out here on Texas Home Improvement. I'm getting some uh, text right now from uh, Trey with America's Choice Windows, and he just won Texas State Championship for his bodybuilding, so congratulations, Trey. I mean, that's literally coming as as I've been sitting here talking. Uh, this is something he's been working on now for quite some time, and uh, I, I know he's put a lot into it, so congratulations on that, Trey. Anyways, any home improvement question you have, 214-787-1080. That's 214-787-1080. And I'll talk to you about your home improvement issues. Now, one other thing, you know, talking about moisture issues. I know we got rain coming through right now. A lot of times people start having humidity issues in the home because we're in that temperature range right now where the air conditioner really doesn't need to come on, but the humidity levels are high, and it's not cold enough for the heater to come on so basically it starts getting kind of feeling like it's kind of uh, wet inside the homes if you have that issue the best thing you can do is get a dehumidifier now some of the uh... you hear me talk a lot of times about the uh... ductless air conditioning systems and a lot of those have a dehumidification setting on them to where you can set it to dehumidify but not necessarily cool. Well, our regular central air and heat don't have that. And so what you end up doing is just adding a dehumidifier. And by doing that, you can keep the air in your home dry and stay so much more comfortable. And it maintains everything in your home better. And it, again, this is not something you've got to do a lot of times. But when we get into these real wet cycles, which we're not in right now, trust me, we're, we're getting a, you know some showers coming through with the front. But um, they, when we get into a real rainy season at this time of year when the temperatures just aren't where you don't need heat, you don't need air conditioning, that dehumidifier can really make your house so much more comfortable. Kim, welcome Hi. to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you. How I'll can do- I help you?
6: I have a 100-year-old wood pier and beam home, and I'm thinking of getting a dehumidification unit, but not to dehumidify my home, but to have drinking water. We're going to be plumbing it into the home. It's going to bypass the city uh, water line. We're going to try to keep it at a higher PSI. Am I going to need a city permit to bypass there? because we are going to revert back to city water when I use up what I've created overnight. Are you familiar with the de- you
1: know, water generators that use dehumidized yeah. air? Uh, no, I uh, well, all dehumidifiers actually pull water out of the air. That's what a, a dehumidifier does. Um, I don't think I'm familiar with what you're talking about. You're not talking about using a reverse osmosis. You're actually talking about using the the dehumidified water uh, that's it's pulled out deep. of the air as as uh, which is basically a uh, 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 chemical mineral free water. It's, it's, it's like distilled water, basically.
6: Correct. It's going to market next year. It's a water generator, something to water generator. And I mean, it's going to be about, you know, $9,000. It's going to be an investment, but I just don't know what kind of questions I want to be asking. Since it's well, I guess, the,
1: I guess the first question I would ask you is why do you want to do this?
6: Well, I don't trust municipal water at some point. I just think I want to be in charge of my own water and not have chlorine in it or anything okay. that we get a letter later on in the city, you know, from the city two months later that the water was not up to par.
1: Well, and, and i got to be honest, I'm in that same boat, but that's what I use um, water purification systems and a reverse osmosis system for.
6: Well, reverse osmosis uses up too much water. It's a waste of water, though.
1: Mm, to a degree it can it doesn't use near as much as they used to use you know it used to be a, a reverse osmosis would use 10 gallons to make one but that's not the case anymore the the newer systems are are much more effective uh, my big issue i think that you're going to run into with this dehumidification system is how much water can you make in a day
6: well um, it's- it will depend on the humidity in the air. You right. know, they say you can make 40 to 100 gallons a day, and I would essentially love to be bathing in distilled water. We It's going to be remineralized, I think, with lava rocks, but I just want to have pure water to drink, and I yeah. don't want fluorine or fluoride.
1: In North Texas, I don't believe you'll get 100 gallons a day. And and here's why. A normal air conditioning system, when it's dehumidifying the, the uh the average 2,500-square-foot home is producing somewhere between 15 and 20 gallons of water a day, and that's in a 24-hour cycle. Well, I know uh, I can't drink that much. <laughs> no, no, but when you start using it for showers and stuff, it goes quick. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, th- look at it this way. Uh, your average toilet is going to use 1.8 gallons to flush.
6: Well, I think it's really neat that I can generate my own water, and oh, I think it is. It's, it's a, a very the
1: there. And if you're going to do go that route, what you may want to look at doing is some other things that are are also water conscious, but can save some of this water that you need for using la- doing laundry and drinking and things like that. Uh, as an example, there there are now reclaiming systems that'll take the water, like from the shower and the uh, sink in the bathrooms, uh, recycle it, and use it in the toilet. And so, and those systems are not real expensive. Um, Who was it that I saw that had one of those? Sloan has one of those systems. Um, And basically... It's just using gray water so that it's not anything that's going to mess stuff up, uh, and it saves a lot of water. And that, along with this dehumidification system that you're talking about, would probably get you through a a regular household day without having to even tap into the city's supply.
6: Ooh, that'd be neat. Plus, these can be hooked up to solar panels and thermal uh, panel units, you know, the solar thermal Right. Panels that make heat, so that yeah. that helps dry out the the salt based de- salt based desiccant that they use to draw this water in. It's it's a new technology and it hasn't come to market yet, but I'm definitely interested in it.
1: The biggest thing you're going to have to check with is your munici- your yeah your, your city your municipality, because uh, they may not allow you to tie this into their water supply. So it it's going to end up being some there. type of switch to turn. To go from city water to this water, um, because it will not let you build without being tapped into the city water supply.
6: Well, I imagine if I'm just past their backflow preventer, I can do anything I want. So I, I guess you would yeah.
1: you would think, but that's not the case. <laughs> uh, and and here's why: the, the the main thing that they're looking for is some, they're going to look for the safety checks beyond just that backflow preventer to make sure that if there's a storm that comes through or you know some type of catastrophe Mm -hmm. that there's no way that this system can back contaminated water up into their system. I know that's what a backflow preventer is supposed to do but they they typically have some, some, uh, each city has their own rules on how they want that done. Some cities will require a double check valve, some cities are going to require just a backflow preventer uh, and some cities, especially when you start dealing with a type of system that you're talking about, are probably going to want some type of hard shutoff as well. Okay. But beyond that, I, you know, it, it is very doable. I just think you, I think they need to be real clear on how much water this thing can produce because uh, to run a, a house on on this type of water is going to take a lot.
6: Okay. Well, I'll get that blown unit out it, because between it, the fact, the, the gray water you're talking about, we yep, that, yep. that, and then the, the distilled water, and I, maybe I just plumb it just to my my tap, where I have my water, my top desktop water purification unit, just double purify it just for me. Yeah, <laughs> that would that be plenty.
1: And I know this type of system is, is out there because uh, if you look at what the military is doing on some of their ships, they're able to bring ships into ports and replace complete municipalities by using seawater sea and and uh, you know going through and desalting it. And everybody thinks, oh, that would be easy to do. It's not. I mean, when you start getting into these systems that do these type of things, they're very complicated. And one of the big questions you're going to have to ask is what's the maintenance on this system – and and what's the life expectancy of this system? Well, under- grand is a lot of money.
6: Well, I understand the CEO Benjamin Blumenthal actually worked on that particular thing you just de- described with the government and the the uh, having it on the ships. I think he mm-hmm. was maybe that's where he got this information from to fully incorporate the whole water generator into the residential aspect. So wow, that, that's even more impressive that you mentioned that.
1: Yeah, and there's no question we got to be headed this way because the water supplies are becoming tighter and tighter all the time.
6: Well, anytime I can go off the water grid or try to ease my dependence on it, I'm there. So I appreciate yep. you mentioning the Sloan device because I think the combination is going to be what I'm looking for.
1: That's that's probably is. Kim, you have a great afternoon. Thank you. You bet. Bye bye. Bonnie, how can I help you?
6: Hello. Yes, ma'am a wooden floor that we've dropped some things on, and one and the planks are dented and damaged. How difficult is it to replace the individual planks?
1: Well, the way the floors are put together is they've got a tongue and groove on them that basically they lock together. So what they have to do in order to take out the damaged plank is they're going to uh, use a saw to cut down through that plank, fold it up from the middle up, and then they've got to cut the tongue and groove p- part off of the new plank to be able to slide it into place and secure it. Now, was this a glue down floor, nailed-down? How was it installed? Do you know?
6: And it's nailed down.
1: Okay. So they, they will have to do some creative work to, to nail it down, but they can definitely cover the nail holes when they put it back into place. It is very doable. It does take somebody with a little skill, though, to get it in there and and make it look right.
4: All right. Thank you so very much.
1: You're welcome. You have a great day. CJ, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you?
3: Yes, please. My outdoor patio, the concrete on it is all cracked in various places and really ugly. I was wondering, can I use Maybe that cheap, uh, the cheaper price, I should say, ceramic indoor tile, and put it over the top of that.
1: No, uh, if the t- if the concrete is cracked and you just go over it, the tile yeah. will crack as well. Oh, okay. Well, now, well, when we... you say it's cracked, though, is it just hairline cracks, or are they separated? Uh, it's hairline cracks. Okay, if it's just hairline cracks, they actually make mastics that you can put down to, to uh, basically glue the tile down that have some elasticity to it. And that is designed to go over cracks like that. If you go to Floor and & Decor and talk to them about it, uh, they mm-hmm. can show that to you. They also have mats that can go down first. But oh. you mentioned one other thing, using an indoor tile. They actually make tiles for outdoor use. okay Make sure you use that if you're going to do a tile Outside. Uh, the problem with the indoor tiles, moisture can get in them, and if we have a freeze, uh-huh. it, it can split the tiles up. The other problem okay. is the surface is normally slicker, so if it, oh. when, it during rains and stuff, they can become too slippery. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Okay,
6: all right. Well, thank you very much for your program, and I appreciate the information.
1: CJ, you have a great afternoon. Okay, thank you, sir. Bye bye now. Bye bye. And that's something to remember, even on indoor tiles, um, the larger area of tile that you put down, the more likely you are that you're going to hit a crack in concrete because all concrete cracks by nature. And the, the cracking is nothing more than the expansion and contraction of the concrete with temperature changes. And so when we do a, a, a whole house of tile, I will guarantee you the tile will crack unless it's installed with the right type of mastics. And for some reason, flooring people always default to a standard that does not include that elasticity, and therefore tiles will tend to crack. And yes, it does cost, it's it's like $2 a bag more to get the mastic that has elasticity than it is the one that doesn't. And yeah, if you're if you're getting 20 bags of mastic, oh my gosh, you're going to spend another 40 dollars. Come on, guys, let's do the project right. There's not a reason to shortcut over 40 bucks. The other thing, though, is picking the right tile for whatever project you're doing is critical. There are so many different tile choices out there now, and stones and different things like that that you really need to talk with your tile expert and make sure you're getting the proper tile that's going to hold up to the use that you're going to use. In other words, a tile that you put in your shower is not necessarily the one you want to be walking on in the floor in the bathroom. They may not hold up as well on the floor. Or vice versa, it may not do as well on the shower wall. As an example, some of the natural stones... They look great on the floor and they actually look very nice when you first put them in a shower. However, if it's a porous type stone, it will tend to absorb the water from the shower. It will also take the soaps in there and before you know it, they don't look very well. They get kind of a haze look to them and next to impossible to clean. So it's important that you, you know, be upfront with your your flooring and tile people what you're going to be using that tile for when you purchase it. And that's one of the reasons I love going to Floor & Decor because they do such a great job of going over all that with you and showing you the the choices. You can get the same look. You just have to get the right product to go with that look. And again, there is a difference between indoor and outdoor use of this stuff. So always make sure that you get the, the right products for it. Hey, got a question that came in. Uh, It's an interesting question because I know a lot of people have to deal with this. My home is on concrete slab with copper tubing, plumbing inside of black rolled plastic pipe sleeving. Due to water seeping through carpet throughout house, is there a company that repairs these type of water leaks without knocking holes in slab? I need advice ASAP as only water... We have in-house is from a garden hose at water well. House supply is blocked off with gate valve at well to stop water from seeping through carpet. Water heater is still gravity draining through leaks, so I will use garden hose to drain it. What is the best method to tackle this job? Thanks. Okay, now this something that a lot of people don't realize. is Most of our water pipes run through the slab here in the Dallas area. In the, uh, well, I shouldn't say just Dallas. Here in the North Texas area. And when they get a leak, yes, it, it, it will tend to come up through the concrete. So you kind of know where the leak is. If you're walking through your house and you feel a, a, a warm spot in the concrete floor, that pretty much tells you you got a water leak there in the hot water line. If it's just a wet spot, it would be in the cold water line. But the plastic sleeves that they put around a lot of these pipes now, sometimes it's really hard to tell where the leak is because the water gets in that plastic sleeve and it can travel 10, 15, 20 feet away to where there's a break in that plastic sleeve before the water actually comes up. So not only do you got to find out where the leak is, you got to make sure it didn't, you know, travel. But you got a couple of options here. Obviously, one is to jackhammer and fix the leak, but you know, if you've had more than one leak, chances are real good you're going to continue to have leaks, so you got to look at a, m- a more long-term repair. Well, there's two of them that I can recommend. One is a, a system called E-Pipe. It's by Ace Dura-Flow, and basically, they come in, they t- remove all the fixture uh, valves, blow through the pipes, basically sandblasting to clean them out good, and then they blow an epoxy resin through there that seals up all the leaks and coats the inside of the pipe so you don't have to worry about new leaks appearing. And so that's one way of taking care of it. No jackhammering required. May require a little bit of sheetrock work. The other is to replumb the house. And instead of having the pipes run through the slab, take the pipes overhead through the attics and drop down for the fixtures. Again, you may have some minor sheetrock problems. I would recommend you look at using a PEX-type system. If you do that, either way, to be honest with you, you're looking at several thousand dollars. Both of them are long-term fix. Both of them can avoid the jackhammering but get you back up with water relatively quickly. Uh, So those are the two systems I would take a look at, the e-pipe system or a PEX system for just replacing all the plumbing.
0: You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.